It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. This content may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. Then a small child voice said, Let me in. Silence. Let me in. As I crossed the bridge, the street lights were going dark as I passed them. Now, this was scary weird. Henry looked at me and said, I can touch whoever I want, wherever I want, whenever I want. You can't stop me, and no one can stop me. From Disturbed Media, join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed. Thanks to Territory Foods for supporting Disturbed. Territory is a chef-driven marketplace of sustainably sourced, nutritionally dense, ready-to-eat meals. To save $75 across your first three orders and get free shipping, go to TerritoryFoods.com and use promo code DISTURBED. Welcome back in, everyone, and thanks for joining me. Today, I'm bringing you three true horrifying tales that are sure to keep you up at night. So sit back and listen close as we dive into the horror. We open the show hearing from Reddit user OmniPotatoInt, featuring voice work by Matt Bradford. And we say no to strangers. So, I lived alone in a bad neighborhood just outside the city. At this point, I'd been living there for maybe the three years with no incident. Well, I mean, there were several shootings on my street, but no one shot at me, so no incident, I guess. I'm the kind of person who can't sit still for very long, so I find myself standing and and poor pacing a lot. On this particular night, maybe at about 2am, I was pacing while reading a textbook to prepare for an upcoming test at my university. I stopped pacing for a little and just stood near my front door to read. That's when I heard my doorknob turn. Now somehow, though I'd nearly shit myself, I was able to calmly look down at the deadbolt to double check that it was locked. It was. Phew. I looked through the peephole to see who was trying to come in, but nobody was standing there. Obviously this was confusing. I'm neither superstitious nor a believer in the supernatural, but I'm also stupid. So my first thought was, is a ghost trying to break into my house? Now thankfully, that thought gave way to a more logical thought of, maybe they're going around back. So I quickly moved to the back door to make sure it was locked. And it was. Phew. But then my front doorknob turned again, 
At this point, my heart is pounding, and my dog, a big protective teddy bear, is looking at me with major concern in his eyes. I look at the front peephole again, but there's still no one there. But that's when I hear a small knock on my door as I'm looking through the peephole. Then a small child voice said, Let me in. Silence. Let me in. I'm still looking through the peephole while covering my mouth with my hand to make my breathing quieter. Through the peephole, I see a small three-year-old-ish girl walk to the edge of my porch and look into my bushes. She nods, then says, okay, in what I think was supposed to be a whisper. Then she walks closer to the door again, and I lose sight of her in the peephole. She tries the handle again, then knocks and says, please help me. My uncle is a cop, so I had heard about people using children as a way to get people to open their door before Blitz attacking them, so I'm pretty sure that's what's happening at this point. I wasn't sure how to handle this situation, so I just said, not even into a phone, Hi, I, I think someone's trying to break into my apartment. Yeah, my address? 2325 Brevner Avenue. Yeah, I'll stay on the line. I then see a shadow emerge from my bushes. Thankfully, they scooped the kid and ran off. There were two people and the kid. So, people who tried to break into my apartment to rob or kill me, let's not meet. Do you have your own terrifying encounter? Did something unexplained happen to you? Let us know and get featured on the podcast. Email mystory@disturbedpodcast.com. Next up, we have an email submission from Kevin and introducing our newest storyteller, Alvin Balling. And we try to piece together the missing time. This unexplained experience happened several years ago. I worked at a large shopping center as a maintenance worker in a neighboring city. I always hated the holiday season because of the extra workload and the crowds at the shopping center. This also meant working nights for two weeks, hanging and setting up Christmas decorations. After putting in a regular eight-hour shift one day, a co-worker and I agreed to meet back at the mall around closing time, 9 p.m., to work on putting up decorations. We could only work on the decoration at night after closing because a lot of the work involved using a scissor lift to hang things throughout the mall. I got home that late afternoon and had an early dinner. My plan was to lay down for a nap before returning to work at 9 o'clock. I got in my nap and got ready for work. I left home about 8.30. It was only about a 15-minute drive, but I have always had a habit of being places early. The drive from my home to work in a neighboring city involved crossing a bridge over a large river. Just before I got to the bridge, I thought it was oddly quiet. There were very few other cars on the road, which is normally pretty busy. As I got to the bridge, I noticed there was not one other car coming toward me or behind me. Very odd. As I crossed the bridge, the street lights were going dark as I passed them. Now, this was scary weird. When I arrived at work, I walked into the employee entrance and went straight to the employee lounge to punch in the time clock. I looked at the time clock and it read 11.30. What? 
This has to be wrong. I walked out to the mall floor and noticed my coworker on the scissor lift and putting up decorations. When I approached him, he looked at me and asked, Where have you been? I felt confused and really strange and asked him, What time is it? He looked at his watch and said, 11.30. To this day, I can't explain the missing two and a half hours. Several people have put the idea of alien abduction out there. I'm not too sure of that, but E.T., if you're tracking me, I hope it has been entertaining for you. Disturbed is brought to you by Territory Foods, one of my absolute favorite new things. I can't tell you how convenient it is. Territory is a chef-driven marketplace of meals that are sustainably sourced, nutritionally dense, and the part that I like most, they're ready in just 90 seconds or less. You can forget all that annoying shopping and meal prep time. No, these meals are made for ease and convenience and they taste great. Territory uses only healthy fats, clean proteins, and lots of sustainably harvested seasonal produce. High quality ingredients that your body will thank you for. You won't need to worry about gluten, inflammatory oils, dairy, or refined sugar because the entire menu is free and clear of all of those. The meals are delivered twice a week so it's always fresh and Territory is now available in most major US cities. We're still smack dab in the holiday season and Territory makes a great gift. Recently, I just sent a pack of meals to my friend in Florida and he was so surprised at how great they tasted and especially how easy and quickly they were ready to go. Several different options are available including Mediterranean, Paleo, Whole30, Vegan, Keto Friendly, and more. You can even pause or cancel your meals at any time. So listen up, here's the deal. To save $75 across your first three orders plus free shipping, go to TerritoryFoods.com and use promo code DISTURBED. Again, that's $75 you can save across your first three orders along with free shipping by going to TerritoryFoods.com with the promo code DISTURBED. And as always, remember, supporting our sponsors helps support the podcast. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Something is creeping. Don't follow it down. Let me introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorized financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now, you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy. And you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. She stole from my son, who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. This is Abigail Aaron in Asheville, North Carolina. And when I'm not singing in the studio, I'm listening to Disturbed. Now, let's get back to the show. 
And finally, our title story coming to us from Reddit user Green Bubbly in Paint, featuring voice work by Nicole Doolin. And we meet a boy named Henry. Back in the late 2000s, I had just finished up my useless degree and was struggling to find work. I was living in a Midwestern college town where everyone and their dog had some higher level of education, so it wasn't uncommon to find people with PhDs working for $10 an hour as a cashier. But the town was cute and affordable, so people liked to stay post-graduation. I found a decent job at a coffee shop over the summer, but once the fall semester started, my hours were cut and I was replaced with cheaper, younger baristas. A coworker suggested I tried nannying. I wasn't particularly interested in working with kids, but she assured me it was good money, and so I decided to join a website for nannies and babysitters, and very quickly was contacted by a family. I met the parents for a quick interview and was hired fairly quickly. The pay was excellent and the hours were great. 8 a.m. to 4 p.m., so I had the evenings to myself and free weekends. Both parents were professors at the local university and they had two children, and were expecting their third very soon. Henry was eight and Jane was three. Both children were incredibly intelligent, Jane particularly so, and had the vocabulary of much older children. I was primarily responsible for her, since Henry spent most of the day in school. Jane was a very serious little girl. She could carry on very in-depth conversations, and I used to joke with her mom that she was like a 60-year-old trapped in a toddler's body. Henry was a beautiful kid, I'll give him that. He had thick, dark, curly hair, long eyelashes, piercing blue eyes and dimples. He has the ability to be sweet, loving, and funny, but I quickly learned this was a skill set he only used when it benefited him. Overall, Henry was a true monster. I have an older brother and two younger brothers, so I'm familiar with sibling relationships, and I know fighting is normal. However, Henry tormented Jane. I've never seen a child get so much joy out of causing pain, fear, and discomfort to another human being. He loved nothing more than to terrify her with stories of monsters or ghosts. He had convinced Jane that there was a demon living in their basement, and she refused to go down with me when I had to do laundry. Over a couple of weeks, I had slowly got her to sit on the bottom step and play while I folded clothes so I could keep an eye on her. She was so proud of her bravery, but when Henry came home and saw she had conquered her fears, he made it his duty to terrify her even more, and all progress was lost. He was so terribly mean to his little sister, I was worried about her physical safety when he was home. He would constantly taunt her, pinch her, threaten her, and destroy her belongings. I despised the hour I had with him every evening after picking him up from school. The entire time would be filled with crying and screaming and his refusal to obey. I would try to tell him off occasionally. I'd say he couldn't act however he wished, that he was a child, I was the adult, etc., you aren't the king of this castle, Henry. This is something my parents used to say to me. I am the king. I'm King Henry. Off with your head, he had responded, and he was right. I didn't have any less control over him than his parents. They, 
let's call them Elizabeth and Michael, were absolutely clueless. Dad was work-obsessed and incredibly hands-off. Mom was a sweetheart but also a doormat and allowed both kids to walk all over her. They had no discipline whatsoever. So a lot of Henry's behavior made sense. Why would he need to behave if no one ever made him? I was shocked to watch how Henry treated his mother and how she allowed him to mock her, call her names, and act aggressively towards her. It wasn't unusual for him to tell her she looked ugly and needed to go change or put her hair down and she'd go and do it. He threatened to punch her stomach if she didn't do what he wanted. He'd pinch her in the back of her arms when she displeased him. She made excuse after excuse for his behavior, calling him exceptionally bright and bored and having a difficult time adjusting to her pregnancy. When the baby was born, things got even worse. Thankfully, he didn't attempt to hurt baby Peggy, but his aggression and violence towards his mother and Jane got so much worse. One afternoon, he found his mom's sewing needles and tried to trick Jane into sitting on one. When it didn't work, he stuck one right into her tiny arm. She screamed and I freaked out and removed it and called both parents ASAP. Elizabeth arrived home, concerned for Jane, and for the first time seemed at least frustrated by Henry's behavior. She attempted to scold him and he became so enraged he started punching her in her newly postpartum stomach. She only responded by crying and hugging him and asking him why he was so angry and wanted to hurt his sister. He responded with a cold, I'm angry because you should have miscarried them both. They both should have died inside you. My jaw hit the floor. Elizabeth stopped crying and just stared at him and then me. I assumed they were going to potentially get this kid some help, but when I approached the subject the next day, I was brushed off and told that they had a talk with Henry, and it was just an outburst due to an unrelated issue at school. Another excuse. Henry continued to torment the entire family, and he started to target me as well. For the past few months, he mostly ignored me. He's occasionally called me ugly or thrown the laundry I had just folded all over the room, but he had yet to get physical with me. This changed one day, where unfortunately he had the day off from school, so I got to spend the entire day with him home, while also caring for Jane and Peggy. It was challenging, but by 10 a.m. he was bored of torturing Jane and went to go play in his room. The rest of the morning went decently with him occupied in his room, until lunch where he spilled his plate all over the table because I didn't cut his crust the right way. I cleaned it up. I had admitted my defeat weeks ago. I couldn't enforce any rules or boundaries if the parents didn't back me up. I put the girls down for a nap and Henry asked me to read him a story. For the first time, he was calm and genuinely sweet with me. I read him the BFG and he cuddles a bit closer. I thought for a bit. Maybe this kid just really needs more one-on-one -on -one time. I was about 30 minutes into the book when I felt a small hand reach under my shirt and touch my stomach. I looked at him and he stared at me. I gently picked up his hand and told him it wasn't appropriate to touch other people without asking. He seemed angry but let me continue reading. I noticed that he had stopped paying attention to the story and was looking at me all over. Before I could ask him what was wrong, 
His hand was under my shirt and making its way from my breast when I yanked it away and stood up. I firmly, I tried not to yell, told him that was incredibly inappropriate and that he's never to touch anyone underneath their clothes ever again. Henry looked at me and said, I can touch whoever I want, wherever I want, whenever I want. You can't stop me and no one can stop me. I was creeped out and felt violated. I know he was a child, but just imagine how that feels as an adult woman. I know children aren't the best with personal space boundaries, but Henry was almost nine, and I knew he knew what he did wasn't appropriate or okay. The intent behind it seemed sinister. I ended our story session and tried to get through the rest of the day. I was so glad he'd be back in school for the rest of the week. I did decide to let his mother know because it felt weird not to. She thought it was funny. She kind of chuckled and said he is a very sensory-oriented kid and was just trying to be affectionate. At that point, I honestly decided that I was never going to talk sense into these parents, and I needed to look for another job. I knew I was going to put my two weeks in pretty soon. I was very sad because I was close to Jane and Peggy and felt like I was abandoning them. But I had discussed Henry's behavior with my roommate, and she was concerned about potential legal ramifications for me if Henry did something to one of the girls on my watch. I came back to work on Monday, and Jane had a black eye. Henry had accidentally punched her in the eye during an argument. I was so sad for her. I asked her what happened later, and she told me that she was playing in her room when Henry came in, took her doll, and when she tried to grab it back, he punched her square in the eye and laughed. Henry was so evil at home, and I wondered why his teacher never seemed to mention any behavioral issues in the classroom. One evening while picking him up, I mentioned Henry was very difficult at home, and wondered if she had issues with him at school. She said no, that he was very well behaved, had no issues, and had a lot of friends. I was very surprised. I assumed Henry was disturbed and that his poor behavior transferred into class. The teacher denied this. I frankly didn't believe her, so one afternoon the girls and I left early and arrived at his school so I could see how we interacted. She was right. He sat at his desk quietly, raised his hand, seemed genuinely friendly to his peers. For some reason, this stark difference in Henry's personality from home to school terrified me even more. Initially, I thought he was just a disturbed kid. But at that moment, I realized how truly in control he was. Henry wasn't just an angry child with severe behavioral issues. Henry was just a mean child who knew when and where he could get away with his favorite pastime, causing misery. Thankfully, I managed to find an entry-level position in a field related to my degree in the spring. I have my two weeks, and Elizabeth was upset but understood. Henry, however, was livid. He made sure to tell me daily how much he hated me, and how glad he was that I was leaving, and how he hoped I died. I was feeling less than patient with his antics, so sometimes replied a little more sarcastically than I should have to a nine-year-old child. On my last day, a Friday, my treat to Elizabeth and Michael was to let them have a date night. I picked Henry up from school at 2.55 and we headed home. 
Henry refused to talk to me. He wouldn't look at me. He wouldn't acknowledge me. I thought that may not be the worst way to spend the next six hours. We arrived home, and shortly after, Elizabeth and Michael came in and started to get ready for the date. The baby was about five months old at this point, and they hadn't been out since her birth the fall before. Henry refused to speak to anyone. Elizabeth got worried and thought about canceling the date. Not wanting to see Henry upset, but I wrongly assured her things would be fine, and they left around 6 p.m. The older two went to bed around 8 p.m. and the baby an hour before, so I only had to make it about two more hours with Henry. We ordered pizza. He refused to eat. He just sat there and sulked in his chair. I let them watch about 30 minutes of the magic school bus on my laptop. A treat since they didn't own a TV. While I bathed the baby, gave her a bottle, and put her down in her crib. I was surprised I didn't hear a peep coming from downstairs. No crying or screaming. I felt a bit victorious that Henry was so stubborn in his silent treatment that he didn't realize how easy he was making this evening. When I got into the living room, I noticed Henry had a sly grin on his face. The first one I'd seen all day. I let the episodes finish and I took the computer and noticed it was incredibly sticky. I quickly realized it was honey and that Henry had gone into the kitchen and put a solid glop in his hands and rubbed it all over the bottom and back of the computer. I was just relieved he didn't get the keyboard. I took the keyboard into the kitchen, wiped it off, and then heard Jane scream. I ran into the living room, and Henry sat there with Jane right next to him, with her hand squeezed tightly within his right hand, and one of the kitchen knives in the other hand. I froze. I demanded he put the knife down immediately and let his sister go. I told him this wasn't funny and he crossed a line. He just smiled. I went and grabbed Jane and she cried and cried and Henry chuckled. I really scared you. You know, I could have killed her while you were upstairs and you would have never known. The blood drained from my face. The anger I felt towards him turned into fear, and then I realized that he was right. I felt so stupid. I rarely left them alone together because it usually ended in Jane being pinched, pushed, slapped, or bit. But I guess I let my guard down given his docile behavior all day. I just started to cry and screamed at him to never ever do that again and go straight to his room. He sat and stared and went to the kitchen and put the knife back and then went upstairs. I was obviously super shaken up and was still trying to calm down as I bathed Jane and got her ready for bed. Told her I was sorry and asked her if he had hurt her, and she said he had not. I was about as angry with myself as I was with him. I could see Henry in his room playing with his Hot Wheels set, and I told him he needed to have the lights out by 830 and that he could tuck himself in. He stared at me and shut the door to his room, and I prayed that would be the last time I saw him for the night. I got Jane into bed and was reading her story when I heard his door creak. I got up, and it looked as if he had cracked the door open, but the lights were off. I continued reading until I suddenly heard Peggy start to gently cry, but she sounded close. I sprung up, and outside the doorframe... I could see Henry holding the baby over the banister. 
I couldn't even scream. I've never moved so fast in my life. I got to Peggy and grabbed her and just ran back into Janie's room. I shut the door and shouted at Henry, asking him why he would do this, which was a stupid question. I knew why. To torment me, and to make me realize how easily he could access his younger sisters and potentially hurt them. Henry could have dropped Peggy, and he could have hurt Jane with that knife, but he didn't. And I don't think that was ever his intention. He just wanted to let me know I wasn't doing my job nearly as well as I thought, and that in the end, he was the one always in control. It took a while to calm down myself and the girls and get them to sleep. It was close to nine by the time I left their bedrooms and saw that Henry was still up in his room reading on his bed. I just kind of looked at him. I was so relieved that this was my last day dealing with this kid and his bullshit, but I felt sad and scared for his sisters. I told him it was time for bed and that I was going to tell his parents about what has happened. He didn't respond. I turned out the lights and then I heard him call my name. You can tell them, but it's a waste of your time. You are just lucky. You're really lucky. I can do what I want. I can hurt who I want. I can touch who I want. You are all really lucky. I just shut his door and left. Elizabeth and Michael came home a little later than expected and paid me. I didn't mention what happened that night because it felt pointless. But the next day I ended up sending a text. I got a long response from Elizabeth full of excuses about Henry, and she even insinuated I lied. I was over it. I was over them. I did end up contacting CPS, but not sure if anything ever came of it. I don't believe Henry was being abused. I've told this story to others, and people always ask me that, but no. I think Henry was born a sociopath, and his parents were enablers, who never made him accountable for his actions and the two together created a monster. I didn't hear from them for over a decade. I moved across the country, married, and now I have kids. My son is almost six years old, and he has two little sisters that are three. They fight, but he loves them and is so protective, and I know what a healthy relationship between siblings looks like. A few weeks ago, I got a friend request on Facebook from Elizabeth. She looks the same. A few more lines, but still very elegant and pretty. Her profile picture consists of herself and her, now, four children. I glanced across the photo until my eye caught a young man with thick, curly hair and bright blue eyes. Henry. Henry ended up as stunning-looking as expected. He's about to be a sophomore at a well-known elite American university. He plays for their soccer team and is majoring in business. He has a girlfriend and seems popular in his fraternity. This is all that I can gather through his public Facebook posts. Maybe he learned accountability and grew out of his mean-spirited and manipulative way. I can only hope that's true for his siblings' sake, as well as the well-being of those around him. For now, my family is thousands of miles away from you, Henry. I honestly don't care if we meet again. I handled you before and I can handle you again. However... Be it now or 20 years in the future, when my children are out on their own trying to find a place in the world. If you see them, don't fucking touch them.
Follow our social channels on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod. If you'd like to get your story on the show, you can find all submission options at disturbedpodcast.com. Leave us a voicemail or text at 701-354-3667, and it just might make it into the show. Or head over to our website and click the voicemail tab on the right. Disturbed is an independent production funded through advertising and your support. And if you'd like to support the show, you can get early access to our premium feed featuring ad-free listening and bonus episodes. Visit patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast to learn more. And let's shout out our newest supporters. Tori Mons, Live Laugh Love 189, Sosima Sendejas, Lisa Liu, Crystal Harrison, Tina Plokelman, Allison Johnson, and of course, the classic, Seymour Butts. They all get instant access to our catalog of bonus episodes, ad-free listening, and 24-hour early episode releases, and you can too. Patreon.com slash Disturbed Podcast. Music by Carl Casey at WhiteBatAudio and Co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all. <laughs>